Welcome. Good morning. You guys can have a seat. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. Thank you for joining us, whether you're in person, online, sitting on your couch, or driving to Maine, for instance. Uh, it's really good to have you here with us. Uh, a couple quick announcements before I get started. The first is that next week, Sunday, is Father's Day. That's right. So you're running out of time to make your Amazon order. Uh, because guys, we like stuff. Uh, I know it's maybe not as high a holiday as Mother's Day, but dads, dads like a little love. Uh, but we're, we're trying to show love to you and to the dads by having a Father's Day barbecue. That's next week after our 11 a.m. service. So I don't know if you want to come to the 9.30 and then go have coffee and then come back or come to the 11 o'clock and just stay for food after. If it rains, we will get communications to you via uh, email or via text. And if you don't get our communications, you can fill out a digital connect card online, and then you will. Uh, that's, that's easy to find on our homepage. Second thing is, uh, starting July 4th, that's a Sunday, our 9.30 inside service and our 11 a.m. outside service is going to come together again. Is that, I'm excited about that. Are you guys excited about that? Into one 10 a.m. service, and so we'll all be together again. Um, we'll be, yeah, we'll be sending out some updates on kids, uh, the Vineyard Kids kind of protocols and COVID stuff over the next couple of days. And it's just, it's really good to be together. So again, thank you for coming. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can grab them. I see that there are still a couple Bibles in the back on those little carts um, by the giving baskets. That's these, and those are the page numbers we'll be using today. Uh, and you can open up to Exodus 19, because we're in a Leviticus series uh, that will <laughs> point us back to Exodus 19, but I want to kind of prime the pump with this passage so that as we read some parts from Leviticus 8 to 10, and as they talk about the ordination of priests, there's a little bit of drive toward uh, making this relevant. So uh, let's pray before we read. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Jesus, we love you, and we need you, and we ask that you would enliven our hearts. And so today we ask that you would be our teacher, that you would not simply, you know, teach us information, but, but change us on the inside so that as we like live and as we speak and as we listen and as we work, that we would actually become like uh, in between people, between your love and your presence and everyone else that we encounter. So again, Holy Spirit, please come. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you guys at Exodus 19 verse 1. Now remember, Leviticus is a story or part of a story of Israel being led out of slavery from Egypt eventually to the promised land, but at the moment they're in the wilderness. And so these are former slaves who are used to being under 
the rule and reign of Pharaoh. They are property. They don't have rights or freedoms. They are like cogs in an engine to produce wealth for Pharaoh. And so now that they are free to figure out how to live and be, and, uh, and beyond that, how not to just be free for themselves, but what is their purpose in the world? Why did God rescue these people? To what end? And we get a little sneak peek of that in Exodus 19, which gives us context for really the whole book of Leviticus, but then the passages uh, in chapters 8 through 10 in particular when it comes to the ordination of priests. So it says here, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And so the context here for the people of Israel is while Exodus 8 to 10 is for a specific tribe, the tribe of Levi, who will be priests, the goal is not to have this priestly class of people, but an entire nation of priests, to have a priestly nation. And so when that gets carried forward into the New Testament, you find that everybody who follows Jesus, everybody who believes that God raised Jesus from the dead and everybody who professes that Jesus is Lord gets categorized as a priest. So I don't know how many of you grew up thinking, man, someday I want to be a priest. Is that anybody? It wasn't me, <laughs> trust me. That was not the vision that I had for my life. And for some of you, the word priest even carries like, some pretty negative connotations, right? Because of scandal and abuse and manipulation and pride and just feeling like, oh, priests, they're these people who are super disconnected from the world, super disconnected from reality. But that was not what God intended. God intended that anybody who would be part of his family would act as a priest. Now, what does that mean? At its base, a priest stands in the gap between God and people. At its root, uh, and you see this as it gets played out, in part, it's about priests going into the presence of God and then helping others come into the presences of God as well. It's almost as if priests stand in the threshold or stand in the doorway between God and creation, the world. And so when God calls these people to be a nation of priests, it's actually so that they can embody the character of God, embody what the, like the heart of God is so that the world can see how God loves and how God would desire that the entire world would live, how people could live in peace and harmony and wholeness. The biblical word for this is 
shalom. So priests are shalom bringers. They embody what God is like because the world needs an example. People need someone or a group of someones to look at and say, oh, that's what God is like. Uh, some of you have experienced this uh, when it comes to playing games, right? So this is like our new favorite game. We call it birds for an obvious reason. <laughs> but uh, the real name for this game is Wingspan. But if you were to open up this box, you would find uh, many interesting features, if you can just put that on full screen. So that every turn you have, you have a couple options. You can play a bird, gain food, lay eggs, or draw a card. And then there are like, there's like 300 of these little bird cards uh, with bird powers and little facts about the bird, including the, uh, the wingspan of the bird, which virtually has nothing to do with the game itself. But anyway, uh, every card has the wingspan, the length of the bird's wings on there. And if you were to walk by or to read the instructions, you'd be like, I don't think this game looks very fun. But my brother uh, brought this game to our Christmas get-together with our family, and he got it out, and he showed us how to play. And so this happens a lot of times with games. Like you, it's, a, it's a rare exception where you just see a game on the shelf, right, and say, oh, that looks interesting, and read the directions. And, and play the game. And if you do that often, like you probably will kind of get it right, but not all the way right. Like if all you have is the directions, but no one to show you how. Uh, but, but then when, when you set up the board, like sometimes you just need to play the game to know how it works. And the people who know how to play the game, they always go first, right? They show you how first, and then they help you with your turn for the first few times, right? So, too, with this nation of priests, but first, this tribe of priests who will become an example, who will show the rest of the people what it's like to live in the presence of God. That's our purpose. <laughs> That's our mission as a people of priests, to show the world not how to play a game, but how to live the life that God wants for us, how to show the kind of love that God has for us. Okay? So now let's jump to Exodus chapter, uh, Leviticus chapter 8. And if you have a Bible like mine, at the very top it says the ordination of priests. And in verse 1 it says, I'll give you a second. <laughs> I love the sound of page turning. It's marvelous. Um, this is an end goal, priestly nation, and we are to be priestly people. Then the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons along with their sacred garments. Now, I'm just going to stop there because it's kind of a long sentence. Uh, and I want you to think about what you know about Aaron and his sons. What do you guys know about Aaron? Moses' brother, right. What else do you know about Aaron? He had a long beard. Anything else? <laughs> Not really the point. He made the golden calf at where? Sinai. So Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God who led them out of Egypt from slavery. And while he's gone, Aaron, his brother, 
under pressure from the people, builds this golden calf, which is breaking the first two commandments that God is giving Moses. Like simultaneously, as God is giving Moses the commandments, the people are already in rebellion against God's like new charter for their nation. And so, like, of anybody in the nation of Israel up to this point, Aaron has probably messed up worse than anybody else, like, since being let out of slavery. Like, he, he was a leader, and he failed in Moses' absence. He led the people into one of the great sins of the nation. So the fact that here we find Aaron and his sons being called into the, the examples of what it looks like to be priest is like a, a statement that is just infused with grace beyond what you can even understand. So you can imagine, I mean, from the people's perspective, like what Aaron, like he's a screw up. You're putting him as the priest, as the representative of God and and God essentially, and this is saying, yeah, because it doesn't matter what you've done. I'm the one who makes you holy. I'm the one who purifies you. Like, you, you don't just get a second chance. You get a third. Like, I'm, I'm committed to you. I am not giving up on you. Like, I'm with you your whole life. I'm pursuing you your whole life. You turn away a hundred times, I'm still here. And from Aaron's perspective, you're thinking, like, this must be like a little bit of whiplash, too, because he's like, I'm a screw up, and he's full, he's like got the shame you could you would imagine, like uh, I'm I'm no good for anything, and you're calling me worthy and holy, and you're going to do well these rituals as laid out in chapter eight that help Aaron understand that the old Aaron is gone and the new Aaron is coming, and so what the rituals really are all about is helping people see like oh something's going on here where the Aaron that did that golden calf thing is being put through a purification process. And this is a new Aaron, someone who can come into the presence of God level worthy Aaron. And so let's, let's keep going. I, <laughs> when we were doing our sound check, I said, uh, I was kind of, I kind of had a long week. I'm feeling kind of tired. I'm just going to open up Leviticus and just start reading. And uh, it might feel a little bit like that here for the next couple of verses. But anyway, nobody thought that was funny. Well, you think it was funny if I actually did it for, a, I mean, at least for the first two minutes, you'd think it was funny. Okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons along with their sacred garments, the anointing oil, the bowl for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket of bread made without yeast. And call the entire community of Israel together at the entrance of the tabernacle, right? Something there about the importance of coming together. So Moses, verse 4, followed the Lord's instructions, and the whole community established, uh, or the whole community assembled at the tabernacle. That's a little phrase there that will come up again and again and again in these two chapters. The Moses did what the Lord commanded. And so just kind of pay attention to that. Uh, so Moses followed. Da, 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 there we go. Then he presented Aaron, verse 6, and his sons and washed them with water. He put the official tunic on Aaron and tied the sash around his waist. He dressed him in the robe, placed the ephod on him. What's that? And attached the ephod securely with its decorative sash. 
Then Moses placed the chest piece on Aaron and put the Urim and the Thummim inside of it. He placed the turban on Aaron's head and attached the gold medallion, the badge of holiness, to the front of the turban, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, making them holy. He sprinkled the oil on the altar seven times, anointing it and all its utensils, as well as the wash basin and its stand, making them holy. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, anointing him and making him holy for his work. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons. He clothed them in their tunic, tied their sashes around them, and put their special head coverings on them, just as the Lord commanded him. I'm, uh, I'm not going to read all the rest of chapter 8, but there's something that's interesting that happens in verse 24, if you just turn the page. Um, next, Moses presented Aaron's sons. Uh, did I say verse 24? Okay, I guess I'm not listening to myself very well. Did I mention I was a little tired? Uh, verse 24, next Moses presented Aaron's sons and applied some of the blood to the lobes of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands, and the big toes of their right feet. He then splattered the rest of the blood against all sides of the altar. Now, some of you are thinking gross, and some of you are thinking cool, and some of you are thinking, what the what? The what? Uh, anyway, it's a great example of, in these passages, as you read them, you're thinking, what is this about? And that's, that's actually an appropriate response because we're, we're looking at a world that is very different than ours. If they looked at us wearing t-shirts, they would be thinking the same thing about us. Why are you dressed that way? And what are you doing with these little rectangular boxes that you carry around? Like, so th there's a little bit of a cultural jump here. And some of what's happening is uh, what Israel is doing is kind of like what the neighboring nations would do, but then it points like, oh, that's really different. And so where there's similarities, you think, okay, this is cultural. And where there's something different, you think, whoa, this is actually trying to make a statement. And so what you find in these passages is a lot of what you read is just different time, different place, but sometimes it's very intentional and symbolic. And so for instance, this idea of putting blood on the ear and on the, the thumb and on the right, the big toe of the right foot. I mean, it, do, it doesn't take a huge leap to think like, oh, what's happening here is there's actually a, a statement about the sacredness of what it means to be a priest as someone who stands in the gap between the presence of God and the world and what they do to listen. There's something sacred about the priestly role of listening. The right hand, there's something like sacred about everything you make and do. Like think about the things that you produce in your life, like whether it's on a computer or whether it's on a workbench or whether it's with a paintbrush. You're not painting with your toes. I mean, some people, I, I imagine that's a form of art. But almost everything you make and do comes from your hand. Every, catch that? Everything you do and make becomes this sacred ritual, sacred act that is actually designed to help bring people into the presence of God. That's the vision. That's the goal. Life as you know it is not about just surviving and getting through the day when you're a priest. 
Life as you know it is to infuse everything you touch and, big toe, everywhere you go with the presence of God. That is calling. That is purpose. That is what it means to be a priest. And so if we just take another look at verse, well, not verse, but chapters 8 and 9, we find that as the as the thing progresses, you know, starting with verse, you know, 4, and then Moses takes anointing oil in verse 10, and then Moses presents a bull in verse 14, and then Moses presents a ram in verse 18, and Moses presents the other ram in verse 22, and Moses took the fat in verse 25. Um, at the end of each section, if you were counting, it says... Uh, where it says, just as the Lord commanded him, you find one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sections. Seven times this chapters, these few chapters are divided up into specific instructions given to Moses. And the author doesn't say, and just if you're paying attention, we're on number two of seven, but if you're reading it through like a, a Hebrew or like Jewish roots lens, you're realizing like, oh, when the number seven shows up, that's really intentional. Do you remember why? Because the number seven points us back to Genesis chapter one and two, the creation of the world, bringing order out of chaos. And so what's happening here with the people of Israel, but with the priests first symbolically, is all about creation and new creation, and a new way of being that is in some ways the same and in some ways very, very different than your old way of being. So like, if you are someone who became a Christian, right, you can still listen to music, you can still paint, you can still drink Merlot, you can still uh, ride your bike, you can still hike a mountain, you can still do all these things, but all of a sudden something changes just a little bit and the reason you paint shifts, and the way you enjoy the mountain isn't simply, oh, this is a nice mountain, but wow, God created this mountain. And so everything shifts toward the presence of God. And it, can, it comes even a little more clear. Listen to this. After, oh, I just, I put this clip in the wrong place. I'm going to get rid of it. Turn the page. At the beginning of verse 9, Right? Remember how we had seven parts. After the ordination ceremony on the eighth day, Moses called together Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. So they all, the, the Aaron and his sons and the elders now come. On the eighth day, what's the eighth day? The eighth day is the first day of a new week, it's the first day of a new creation. It's the first day of the week. So if we jump ahead to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, you know how many like miracles or signs there are in John? You have a, you have a guess why? It's, it's pointing back to like this is a new creation. This is actually God creating, God restoring, God recreating. Uh, so when he feeds people or heals people like this is this is the new kingdom right and then 
what's the, there's actually an eighth miracle of sorts, and it happens on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Two women go to a tomb that is empty because Jesus is no longer dead. He is risen. And it is a new day. And it marks the beginning of a new creation. And he, uh, well, this becomes really clear in Hebrews, is the high priest who showed us, shows us how to embody the character and the love of God. And we become priests in his example because of his sacrifice, which cleanses us, right? To be messengers of his kingdom. Jesus brings the presence of God to everyone who then bring the presence of God to everyone. We stand in this gap as priests in our priestly role. Every, like every single Christian is designed to stand in the gap between the presence of God and the and people not because we like not not to be permanently there but to actually bring them in and and let them experience God for themselves you know what i mean i'm not saying that there's this weird like distance between what god wants and what and other people it's just the idea is to bring them in to the presence of god but also to stand in the gap of old creation and new creation because for most of us actually could i just i shouldn't say most of us, for all of us, there is a tension between who God sees us to be in like our fullness and who we truly were meant to be and where we are. And so we need people to stand in the gap and help us see. So at the beginning of this NBA season, uh, Ed Murray told me the story. At the beginning of the NBA season, Doc Rivers, who is the coach of the some of you know this, okay. Uh, they, they won the game, but uh, one of their highest paid stars, Tobias Harris, played, he played bad. He shot bad. He shot three for 13 from uh, field goal range and zero for four from uh, three-point range. And like, you don't want to pay, uh, I can't keep track of NBA contracts because there's like a max contract and a super max contract and like an amazingly a super duper contract. Did you guys ever pay attention to this? I don't know. He's one of those like max contract, but not really the most, I don't think he's the most max. Anyway, so one of your highest played players on the first game shoots three for 13, misses all of his free, uh, uh, three-point shots. And at the end, of course, the, the media is to Doc Rivers, like, what'd you think of Tobias's play? And uh, coach said, he shot bad. He said, in fact, even those free throws he got uh, should have been a dunk. He said, but he'll be fine. We're going to watch the film. We'll break him out of his cage. Tobias will be fine. That guy can coach. Doc Rivers is a coach because he stands in the gap between what is real now and what can be. He sees, he sees Tobias. He speaks to Tobias like in the reality of, I, 
uncertainty. I don't know when to, whether to shoot or whether to drive or whether to dunk. And that was one of the things that he said too. Like he would just kind of dribble around the outside and there's just no decisiveness in his game. But he also sees the Tobias that could be. What is he averaging? Like 25 points a game. He's like developed this year into a player that by February I saw a headline on Philadelphia newspaper like Tobias like drives decisively to the rim, right? It took like two months for Tobias to get into that new way of playing basketball where I'm going to, instead of dance around the perimeter, I'm going to take it to the rim or shoot, which makes you very difficult to guard if you can do both. Okay. I know not everybody tracked with that. Even if you don't like basketball, can you like understand what I'm saying? Because there's all kinds of places, not just in basketball, where people have stood in the gap for you. Uh, just think a minute about the people who have stood in the gap between who you are and how you're living and the mistakes you've made and the belief that you are actually meant to live a life that is more productive, that is more full, that is more whole, that has more joy, that has more peace. There are people in your life who have stood in that gap and said, I believe in you and I love you and I'm for you. And I see something in you that maybe you can't even see yourself. To be a priest means to stand in the doorway to go into the presence of God and help others discover the presence of God, but to also stand in the doorway of what is old creation and what can be, what God desires, what God designed, new creation. And so that's your charge. That's your charge this week as you walk out of these doors to live a new kind of life so that people can see what God is like. To listen well. To everything you make, do it with the, the intention, the design of making it sacred and to where you go, like that people would look at you and be like, oh, that must be a little bit like what God is like. That's the new, that's the new you. That's the new creation. Not self-help new you. Grace of God. New you. And so just to jump ahead to 1 Peter, this is in New Testament terms. Uh, again, I, I was just saying to someone this morning, uh, I'm, always, I'm amazed at how Leviticus just gets hyperlinked into all these other places in the Bible. And if, uh, if I said a few weeks ago, like I wouldn't necessarily recommend trying to read through Leviticus verse by verse, but if you want to like enhance your experience of Leviticus, just read the whole Bible between now and next week. No, uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews actually will, if you're, if you're like me, the book of Hebrews will confuse you. But reading it alongside of Leviticus will hopefully be uh, something that makes it a little less confusing. And so if, you're, if you want to read, like over the next few weeks as we, I mean, we're not even quite halfway through the series, like read the book of Hebrews and like just let that digest. But here we are in First Peter, verse 13 priestly nation, stand in the gap, God's presence, new creation, old creation. Verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. 
Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Some of you were looking at your Bibles. I just uh, I touched my ear and then wiggled my thumb and then touched my big toe. Just as God who chose you to, <laughs> just as God who chose you is holy, holy nation, priestly nation, holy people, priestly people. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need you as our high priest so we can know what God is like. We trust that you give us a perfect picture. And so help us to follow you. Help us to embody the character and the love that you have. Help us to live as priests in our families because we're going to screw it up. Like, maybe not Aaron level screw it up, but God, we're going to screw it up. And so thank you for your grace, but thank you also for the sacrifice of Jesus that like in one decisive act made all the sacrifice we'll ever need to be holy in your eyes, to be worthy in your sight, to be loved and embraced and pursued. And so come Holy Spirit. I invite you guys to stand. And I want also to invite like God's presence, but also his voice. And so I'm going to ask you to be somewhat attentive uh, and, and specifically in terms of like where this week would God desire for you to act as a priest, with which person in your life do you need to stand in the gap between like where they're at, the mistakes they're making, um, and like how God sees them, like where they're at perhaps far from God and, and God's desire to like have them know his presence, like who this week would God nudge you toward to stand in the doorway to stand in the threshold for them as God's representative and so let's worship